0: The Money Show. Other people's money.
1: Before we get to Tlinam you know, Tlope, just a story I haven't mentioned today, and it's appalling, and it's really so self-defeating, short-sighted and stupid. If the reports that I've seen are to be believed, of course, there's still big investigations that are going on. But a fire at Denny Mushrooms at Shongweni in KwaZulu-Natal happened on Friday. started at about quarter to five in the afternoon. Uh, Denny Mushroom sending us a statement saying they're working with authorities to investigate the cause of the fire as well as assess the damage. Unable to comment further at this stage as to the cause extent or estimated cost of the damage. Uh, it talks about safety of people and none of the 319 employees were injured. Uh, they've remained focusing on uh, focused on serving the needs of customers from plants in Gauteng and the Western Cape. There are reports that this is something to do with a wage dispute and most workers had agreed to accept a wage offer and were happy to come back to work. Uh, it would appear that a small group of uh, disgruntled people within the process may very well have set the fire on friday afternoon in a fit of pique and rage and now the entire place is burnt to the ground so what happens to those jobs? What happens to Denny Mushrooms? What obligations does Denny Mushrooms have then in terms of reestablishing that particular plant and keeping those 319 jobs? Uh, when my kids were little, uh, we had a couple of Trinam Klope CD stories in the car. and We play a CD on every trip. This one, Dad, you know what the pressure's like. Uh, if you're not familiar with her work, here is Trinam Chlope telling us a story. It's the story of
0: Lungile, the most beautiful girl in the land. Have a listen. There was a girl. Her name was Lungile. She lived in a beautiful village with her family and she was said to be the most beautiful girl in the land. Old people, young people, mothers, fathers, they all agreed she was the most beautiful one of them all. And Lungile loved helping her mother at home with the different chores but her favorite pastime was going to the river to swim. Other girls often went with her And when she went swimming, they said, I'm going with (laughs) lungi. They played, they sang songs, and they enjoyed water games, and they giggled about things that teenage girls like to giggle about even today. Some of the older women said, Some of the girls think that if they stay in the water long enough, some of her beauty will rub off onto them. Well, it didn't quite happen like that. Lungile was a happy child. Also, she enjoyed going to the forest to collect firewood with other girls. And when she was out there collecting firewood, she'd look around, look around, and then soon she'd disappear and she'd be standing in a clearing where there were no trees. And she would open her arms wide. She'd start looking into the sky and then she'd imitate the sounds of the birds. And other girls were looking, where is she? Where is she? And when they found her, they said, what are you doing? She said, I love birds. You know me. I love birds. I love the miracle of flight. The way they take into the sky and they fly and they don't fall down. The way they look so beautiful. Look at the colors of their feathers as if that's not enough. Oh, the joy they bring me with their singing. Oh, they bring joy to my heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Other girls bring joy to your heart. Can we go and take our firewood now and go home? Joy to our hearts.
1: I mean you just you you sound like you're having the very best time of your life when you tell stories.
0: Do you still feel that passionate about it? (laughs) I don't think I would be able to do it if I did not enjoy it. I'm very, very lucky. I'm one of those people who do work that I thoroughly enjoy. It's
1: taken you around the world, hasn't it? I mean, it really has transported you to all corners of the globe in terms of being invited to festivals and being invited to to, to tell the stories in, in public places everywhere.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I think the first time I ever travelled out of South Africa, September 1982, I had no idea that I was going to be travelling on. Most every year to so many countries, I started with traveling with the theater plays from the market theater in Johannesburg. And over time I started directing and uh, from directing, then I I think when I did my first residency at Brandeis University end of 1986, long, long ago, um, they found out that I'm from Africa and they said, she must know stories. And of course I did, since I had an uh, an amazing grandmother, a master storyteller. But the more I told stories in America, even when I directed Zandile, my play, Have You Seen Zandile? When I directed it in Chicago, I got invited to places like the DuSable Museum and what and I kept thinking, why on earth am I telling stories only when I'm overseas? I need to come back home. And so the first ever storytelling festival that I hosted was at the Market Theatre when I was resident director in 1990. (laughs) Who? <laughs> and uh, I was amazed by the response of audiences. So I never stopped. What is it
1: about the power of stories? What is it about stories that connects us?
0: Story is one of the most. Um, universal way of connecting with people even if you are talking about something that you saw early this morning as you were leaving the house and something happened when you get to work that's the first thing you're going to talk about that's storytelling and sometimes people um, get a very important job and you arrive at your new workplace and people look at you maybe the way you dress is not exactly what they expected from the new boss and maybe the way you speak, they had all kinds of things. They looked at your CV and then they just don't get you. No matter how much you try to connect with people, they keep saying, but, but, talk to me, huh? what's, what's his story? What's her story? And once you start unpacking a few things via storytelling, okay, I get you. They get you. So stories are, are really, really one of the most um, universal ways of connecting people, but also the, the most original from the beginning of time. I don't think there's ever a nationality that did not tell stories. That was the first before there was theater before there was uh, big dance productions or opera or any other art form you can think of. I always think story is the mother of all other art forms.
1: And uh, Africa's got a really rich oral tradition of storytelling, and I wonder how healthy that oral tradition is. Are you worried that we're losing some of the stories?
0: (laughs) This is one of the most asked questions, you know. Africa is one of those uh, continents where storytelling has remained. In other countries, it seems like um, the digital mi- migration has uh, kind of taken away, yeah. but um, I have been invited to work with um, students who have graduated as animators. They've got all the digital cleverity, I call it, and uh, they don't have story. Hello, you got all yeah. the bones, you got all yeah. the, 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 the outside, the carcass, where's the meat? Hmm? Where's yeah, the meat? Uh, you need story. <laughs> and if you want to be a great composer, you can have um, the melodies and the what, and you bring the cello, you bring the violin, you bring the drums, you bring. But where's the meat? Excuse me. Where's the meat? You need song. You need to say something. Some of the most um, wonderful uh, songs that we call classics, the lyrics are telling a story. And so there never is uh, gonna be a time when people don't tell stories in whatever form. It's just that in, in the African continent, we've kept more of the oral tradition of telling the stories live from person to person. But it but doesn't mean, I've, I've met with with storytellers from all over mm-hmm. the world telling stories.
1: But you work, I mean, I think you're working to preserve as many of them as you can, um, whether that be in audio form or in written form. And I'm I'm delighted the bookshops yeah. are carrying more and more, particularly kids' stories. I mean, you know, yes. we've, we've, they've got Kipling and we've got all of these old um, English stories about Africa. But we we don't have African stories about Africa. But more and more, we're beginning to see them appear. And I wonder how many of those stories are true to the origins of the stories themselves or whether they're sort of being... I don't know, cleaned up for 21st century adapted. consumption, if you know mm-hmm. what
0: I mean, yeah. I, I think um, culture is very dynamic, of course. So some of the stories have been adapted, but uh, some of us are making it our business to preserve the stories. And uh, so when we preserve those stories, people are amazed at how beautiful they still are. And so it, it's extremely important then to also see how parents, teachers, and uh, people in different uh, industries are asking for stories. I hear that uh, this show is sponsored by APSA. The number of times I've worked with APSA, I call people at APSA the Apsarians, you know. Absa, Beautiful tribe, Apsarians. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to hear stories. With different Everybody, banks f- different big companies. And they they, they love storytelling because there are ways of, of putting a certain message across or a strategy. So storytelling, the stories from long, long ago, let's preserve them, but let's adapt the art form to carry the new messages to reach people quicker.
1: Ah, as I said when I was chatting to Bronwyn Williams earlier, um, you know, numbers show, stories tell. Stories make us feel like we belong. Stories help us to relate. Stories help us to understand in a right. far clearer way than most people can understand numbers. Gina McCloppe is our, our guest this evening, the storyteller par excellence. She's got a long history of storytelling and helping people tell their stories and helping to interpret stories uh, for 21st century audiences. We'll talk about the money bits in a moment,
0: the money show, other people's money.
1: Lena Machopa is our guest this evening, the storyteller. You grew up in KZN. Was there much money about you Kleena? Know, what did your mom and dad do? What what sort of family life did you have?
0: Yay, yeah, I've just heard your story about um, uh, Nchongweini, the fire there. That's horrendous. I'm from Hammersdale. Hammersdale is very close to Nchongweini. And um, uh, Hammersdale is a small industrial town between Durban and Peter Maritzburg. And uh, growing up, was there much money around? Not a lot, but uh, <laughs> we survived. Um, I think um, I wasn't thinking about money at all. I was just enjoying life and I was lucky to have been watered with so much love.
1: Yeah, love is absolutely pivotal. But uh, in terms of the opportunity that you had, you matriculated at a local school. I see you went to Rhodes University and did some journalism work, um, which is fun.
0: Yes, absolutely. I did a well, it's a cadet course, really, that I did. And then from then onwards, then it was the, the theater world. And then I did filmmaking. And then I, I, I was like ready to do one of the most fascinating things was reading news on radio. Um, Did you enjoy that um, or did you find it quite constraining? Somebody met me and they said they like my voice, they could train me, and I never knew how much my voice was going to be a part and parcel of the future of my career indeed.
1: Well, some people have you know, toolboxes full of spanners. Some people have spreadsheets. You have your voice. That is your tool of your trade. Uh, and you've utilized Absolutely. it very, very effectively. Um, have you commercialized your voice in, in, in other ways? I mean, yes, you've acted. Yes, you have told stories. Yes, you've traveled the world. But have you done sort of like um, commercials and things like that? How have you utilized this, this wonderful asset of yours?
0: I've done some commercials, but also I used to tell um, stories on radio at eight o'clock every Saturday for seven years, <laughs> sponsored by Joko T. <laughs> hey! <laughs> so, Joko has been part and parcel of our lives for all these years, and I enjoyed myself so much. Scotty at SABC used to laugh at me, and the technical guys would listen, would watch me telling stories um, through the glass. And um, I had my water and I'm sitting there with the microphone and I'd be gone, they disappeared. And I had this large audience in front of me and I'd be telling them stories and they wanted another one and another one. (laughs) The number of times I met people, they said, you know, I thought you were telling that story to me and me alone. And I said, of course I knew you were listening. (laughs) <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. Um, did have you have you been good with money? Have you
1: been responsible with money? Have you uh, because a lot of artists and people from the from the artistic world um tend to live in the now um work can be sporadic, it can be unpredictable, it can be quite tough. Have you been able to put money away?
0: Uh, you know what? Um, I've got a friend of mine who I call her my, my friend with money speak because it's a language money. And so when I advise young people, I say, don't take after Mam Tuna, whatever you do, don't ask, don't, don't behave like Mam Tuna. Mam Tuna. doesn't speak, money speak, uh, Because I do not fully understand money. I work very, very hard. But um, from a very young age, you know, the first salary, you know, salary wages, I, I, uh, I earned 11 rands a week. And so I would go back to my place in Alex and I'd put my 11 rands on my bed and then decide what I'm going to do with my 11 rands very carefully. And then I earned 40-something rand, whoo, graduated. And then the next thing I knew, it was um 400 rands. I thought, damn, I'm, I'm, I'm making New money rich. here. I'm coining it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so over the years, I learned that when I walk into a shop and I see something I like and I cannot afford it, I walk out because I did not see that thing before Before I walked into that shop, When I woke up in the morning, it wasn't there. So I don't feel bad at all, whether it's something to wear or something for my house or whatever. I just don't buy something that I feel like I don't reach. I don't pass a certain threshold. But also, how, how I'm do you big control things? cash?
1: How do you control that emotion? The vast majority of people, if they're feeling a bit down or they're feeling a little bit upset or feeling a little bit rich, maybe they had a lucky good week last week or whatever the case is, they think, you know what, I deserve a treat. I deserve to treat myself. I deserve this thing, this handbag, these, this <laughs> pair of shoes. Really, tabby could never walk past a shoe shop. Um, and um, it was just this thing of, you know, I, I deserve to be happy, and this will make me happy. You, you don't have that myself. affliction,
0: yeah. Well, well, from the age of twenty, I've been in charge of my life. If 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 I don't take care of myself, nobody else will yeah um I, but i remember at a time when we used to travel a lot overseas as theater practitioners and we would get paid in pounds or in in, in dollars and whatever we get into the shops and we buy and we buy we think it's a sale it's a sale and the next thing you come back with two heavy suitcases you get to the uh, check-in counter and then they weigh this thing they say ma'am you're overweight <laughs> so once they tell you overweight they mean you're going to spend money paying for overweight luggage And then it wasn't so cheap anymore. And then if you are like me, I'm addicted to books. I love books and I buy books and I buy books. And you get to the airport and they say, ma'am, you're overweight. And again, you're going to have to pay more money. So through trial and error, through experience, I learned that certain things, I just let go. But uh, I I cannot claim that I'm really, really savvy with money. I'm trying all the time. I look at things um, like, um, like, like furniture, for instance. I don't buy something, I can't buy cash yeah i just I, I just can't do it i'm sorry no matter how beautiful it is if i can not buy cash bye it was nice meeting you i'm out of there and uh, the same thing about uh, working to have a home the priority number one is home for me more than expensive cars and expensive this expensive handbags bloody hell i'm so sorry they are for other women not for me yeah <laughs> so <laughs> have you that's so expensive that i've got no money to put inside have you succeeded in
1: sorting out that home? Have you succeeded in paying off that home? Because so often people yes, get to a stage where yes, they...
0: Yes, sir. Yes, sir. My well home is done. Made up.
1: Yeah, good. Yes,
0: sir. It's so important for me to have a sense of belonging. Yeah. And as a mother, I need for my child to to have a, a home address. It's extremely important, yeah. And so those things are extremely, extremely important to me. From time to time, then you buy something. Oh Lord, look, look what I've done now. Uh, so I, I'm not immune to those things, but it's once in a while. It's not like something I do it all the time. And, um, uh, and about about this this money thing as well. People when people say they are depressed and they must go and spend money, I watch it in the movies, but I don't yeah. have to do it myself.
1: Um, and uh, do you intend to to work until you can't? Um, have you got an end date in mind in terms of when you want to stop being, living a hectic life of travel and engaging? Running around and that sort of and flying stuff? around.
0: Exactly. You know, to tell you the truth, um, I don't know when is the end date, but uh, this past two years with this ugly dude called Corona. And no. he said, hey, when I be still, sit down, stay in your house, wash those hands, masks and what. I just put my passport in my drawer and I was okay with not traveling. It's been a lot, even a good thing when you overdo it, <laughs> it can be too much. No, no, and exactly, now yeah. on, on Tuesday, I'm flying to Sweden. I haven't traveled for two and a half years, you know and um so um i've traveled a lot i've seen the world i've flown my my country's flag all over the world so many continents i uh i don't know how long i'm going to be working but when i can't travel anymore there are books to be written my my writing has suffered you see when you've got Uh. twins and then this other twin is stronger what is that bird the eagle the eagle always supports the stronger one the stronger one of the of the chicks. And I feel like my writing has suffered because of the traveling and the performance work that I do. Uh, I'm, I'm grateful about, about being able to constantly work, to be constantly working for 40 years. But at the same time I'm thinking when things slow down, I've got to be writing and I'm going to be writing and I'm going to be writing and and, and that's good enough for me.
1: Absolutely. We can't wait to see what the writing I
0: will
1: not brings regret not <laughs> Good luck with the travel. First time in two and a half years. You forget how untravel fit you are when you go on that first big trip. You're like, oh my goodness me, this is actually hard. It's easy when you're in it. But when you haven't been in it for a while, you know, you're going to feel it in your bones. Uh, but what a wonderful experience. Good luck. Enjoy the trip to Sweden. This evening, Storyteller, Other People's Money.